Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. This is Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I sat down with interim CEO of Keck Medicine of USC, Rod Hanners. Now, some of you that have been listening or watching the show for a while might recall the name Rod Hanners, as he's been on the show a couple of years back when he was the COO of Keck Medicine of USC. But now, again, he's the interim CEO of the entire health system, Keck Medicine of USC. Rod has a background in the Navy, where he was a submarine commander, and I asked him on the show how his experience from the Navy and his time as a submarine commander might have helped him be prepared for the pandemic that we now face today and leading his team there at Keck Medicine of USC, which comprises three hospitals, a medical group, and much more. We hope you learn from today's episode and check out other episodes of Pop of Podcast by visiting us on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Music, and of course, our website, popofpodcast.com. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the show. Well, Rod, it's been a few years. Thanks so much for rejoining the show. It's good to be back, Gavin. Awesome. So uh, we're recording this uh, during the holiday season, and um, we just talked a little bit about Thanksgiving off the air, which Rod was very good off the air. He was very, still very good in his backyard. So for all of you listening, uh, he's definitely adhering to all the protocols, which is a great example for all of us. Um, Rod, we always like to kick off each show by getting to know you or the guest. So would you mind sharing with the audience something outside of maybe the healthcare world about yourself? Let's see, I usually go with my go-to, Gavin, as you know, in terms of, uh, you know, I, I didn't follow the, the traditional rank up through college and then into healthcare. I uh, took a little detour with the submarine force, um, getting out of college, spent about eight years with submarine force as an officer on a fast tech submarine. So that's a surprise, but may not be a complete surprise to everybody. So let me think of something else here. And I guess, um, you know, I, I lived both in Southern California growing up as well as Alaska. So I spent my summers in Alaska and my winters in California. My dad lived in Alaska, my mom in California. And so um, I got the best of both worlds, I believe. And so that's stuck with me over time. And now my girls uh, go up there with me and we'd like to fit salmon fish in the, in the summers. And so we have some friends that are still up there. So that's probably the new surprise of the day. That's awesome. So how long are those summers? How much sunlight do you get when you're out there in the summer? Uh, when we, you know, when we'll go in June or July, it doesn't get dark until maybe 11, 12 at midnight. Yeah. And I remember growing up, it was always crazy because I'd, I'd be in bed. My dad would get us into bed at 830 or whatever in the summertime. And uh, I'd hear my friends outside all playing baseball in, at, at like eight, nine o'clock at night, which um, was, took some getting used to. That's that's really neat. Cool. So one thing about Keck Medicine of USC is it's a little bit different than what some people may think when they think of a health system or hospital system. So can you remind the audience what Keck is and maybe some of the things that's different about a traditional hospital system? Yeah, well, so Keck Medicine is the brand name of the system. You know, the corporate name is USC Health, uh, which is kind of the corporate name that we established toward the end of November when we set up a different board for the health system. So that was something that was unique to us that is now no longer unique and that we have stood up a health system board uh, with trustees both from the university as well as from the outside that can provide the level of governance with some notion of what healthcare is. Um, and, uh, and so we've, we've stood that up. So that, that's, that's new for us. But so Keck Medicine is really comprised of three hospitals, three acute care hospitals as it stands today. 
Um, two of those are on the health science campus, and that's Keck Hospital, um, and then Norris Cancer Hospital. And then we have the Verdugo Hospital that was acquired in 2009 that uh, is up in La Cunada, Flint Ridge area. And then we've got the USC Care Medical Group, uh, which is part of Keck Medicine. And so the medical group is part of, uh, part of the entity with the clinical departments that fall within USC Care Medical Group, who also are members of the Keck School of Medicine. And so those are the three main entities, if you will. Um, the Keck Medical Center, which is on this campus, which comprises the two hospitals on this campus, and then Verdugo Hills Hospital, and then the USC Care Medical Group. That, as of today, comprises what we call Keck Medicine of USC. Okay, awesome. And then does USC Health uh, have other parts of it, or is, is that pretty much all with, for USC Health as well? Well, that's USC Health is the corporate name for that new corporate entity um, that that is uh, that we're working on right now. Um, but the the governance of the health system board also oversees clinical activities that do not occur underneath the Keck Medicine umbrella. For example, we have several schools that provide clinical services, such as dent, the School of Dentistry, the School of Pharmacy, um, the School of Social Work, etc. And so. Their uh, roles and responsibilities of our fiduciary board are to oversee those clinical activities as well. That was one of the big drivers for the new health system board. Okay, awesome. That's a that's a good explanation there, Rod. So, you are currently the interim CEO. Am I getting that right, or has that changed since I last checked? That's correct. That's okay. my my third hat these days is the interim CEO for Keck Medicine of USC for the system. Yeah, so what, how does that interim tag or role, how does that differ from if you were the CEO? Is there any change in the day-to-day or is, are you pretty much doing the exact same thing? Well, I think you know a lot of folks approach an interim role differently. I approach it as though you got the job. And so there's nothing that uh, different in terms of how I'm acting in the role just because it's still an interim. Um, and so you own it at that point when you become the interim and, and you, I carry out the same decisions as though I was in that seat permanently. Um, and so, yeah, so I don't, I don't see a difference in, in at least the way I've approached it. Um, okay, thanks, Rod. So one thing since you've last been on the show, well, especially this year in 2020, is there's been a lot of uh, good things from a press perspective with LA winning championships. So of course, the sports, the Dodgers, the Lakers, and USC continues to win accolades by ranking high in US News and World Report. Um, and there's a lot of competition, right? There's a ton of competition here in Southern California in the state. So can you tell me what goes into winning those accolades? Yeah, I, I, I think they're probably three main ingredients uh, that I would turn to in terms of, you know, it's pretty unprecedented for a a relatively immature new um, academic medical center to reach the top 20 um, in in such a short period of time. And so as we've looked at it and said, okay, what was the secret sauce? You know, what was it that, that really got us here? I think three things really jump out to us. First and foremost, it's, it's the quality of our faculty, our physicians. Uh, what we've been able to recruit over the last four or five years, um, actually longer than that, last eight, nine years prior to my time, 
Um, so I think that that is a huge part of it is bringing in some very talented physicians um, that and then and then really creating an environment for them to excel in. And so that that I would say is one major one. The other one is around the leadership team that we've assembled. And I think it's it's all about leaders and their ability to motivate and, and move uh, on certain agendas and, and again, help to create that, that, that process of improvement. And then and it just a, an undying focus on quality. I mean, just very, very focused on our quality and our outcomes. Um, a lot of work by our CMOs, uh, working with their teams. And then when you bring all that together, leadership, faculty, this focus on quality and create that alignment, uh, I think that has been a real, a real uh, focus of ours is to make sure that we are all um, 100% in alignment on what winning and losing looks like and then where we need to put our efforts. And it's been a, it's been a joy working with our faculty in that regard because we're just, we're very, very, uh, very aligned in that regard. Awesome, Rod. Well, continued success to you. And um, as I shared previously, when we've had uh, you on the show and uh, past predecessors, uh, my brother-in-law received great care from your facility and uh, many other family members as well. So I can attest to that. And um, it's been neat to see. Um, so one thing I want to talk about is, and you touched on it already, Rod, is USC or Keck Medicine of USC. Uh, I always get the wording incorrect here, but you guys don't have an emergency department there in your Los Angeles campus. So why is that? Yeah, that, that's the, uh, I probably get asked that question monthly. And, and uh, it's not an exciting answer because I, we really don't know why, right? I mean, it was oh. a tenant facility before uh, the university purchased it up from tenant. Um, the word has it that back when, when tenant was looking to create the hospital, uh, LA County, USC is, you know, a stone's throw away with a very large emergency department. And so emergency services didn't seem like it was a community need at the time is what I've understood. And so as a result, the, uh, the, the folks at Tenant, when they built the hospital, built it without an ER. Um, so I, that makes us, I think, one of the only academic centers in the country without an ER at their, at their main flagship hospital. Although our, if you talk to our uh, Department of Chair of Surgery or Department Chair of Neurosurgery, they want an ER. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine. Yeah, as well as our cardiology folks. So, um, so at any rate, we're, we we look at it. We always look at it and, and say, does that uh, will that make a big difference here um, with where we're sitting? And and so it is, is a constant conversation here as we as we think about our future. Now, nah, good point. I appreciate your honesty there, Rod. Um, so you mentioned LA County USC Medical Center, and for those of you who haven't been to uh, Rod's organization or physically in that area, LA County USC Medical Center is within walking distance. And it's a separate entity, even though it has the same name. You might, if, if, if I don't know if you know the yeah. answer, but what's, what's that affiliation? And how does it differ from yours? You know, I, it, it's a separate organization, LA County is. Uh, so not a lot of health system to, to LA County in terms of any, any sort of thing that we have any, any um, oversight over, if you will. Um, part of the county system, what, and I'll get to the question in terms of the naming, but, you know, what, what we have is our school of medicine and our physicians have a contract with the county to provide clinical services. They call it an uh, MSA. Uh, so it's an agreement um, for, for professional services, um, like you would have in, in a PSA with, with anyone else. The, the 
the, where they're very linked is around the training program. So we are joint sponsors of the training program. It's actually the university in LA County when you think about the, the bigger uh, piece. And so that, that uh, they have a joint, one of the only in the country, right, in terms of a joint sponsorship for, for uh, GME training. And so, um, so that, that's, that, uh, my guess is that's why the LA County dash USC name was on there was probably at the time of the, of the training programs being so heavily linked. Um, and obviously the professional service agreement with, with the, uh, with the faculty. Awesome, Rod. Sorry to throw that one on you. Um, but I was just very right. curious and I know, I know a lot of the public is. So, um, you have the two different hospitals. Can you tell us about your specialties there? Uh, every, right. So, uh, you know, we have all the specialties you would imagine plus, plus some, I think the things that differentiate us are really some of those higher tertiary quaternary type services. You know, the, uh, the aortic dissections that come our way in the, in the, in the night, you know, with, with potential ruptured aneurysms and, and we have a, a lot of uh, work that goes in there. That's kind of one of our hallmark programs where our vascular surgeons and our cardiac surgeons work together, um, which is unique, right? And they get along yeah. actually <laughs> and, and, and work together on their cases. We have one of our vascular surgeons that builds stents um, way up into the aortic arch and he, uh, he builds them by hand. So he'll get a patient that comes in and he'll build these, these arches that, that are, go way up into the upper, upper arch and, and these stents that, uh, so we have a, we have a great program there. He's both, uh, he's obviously got all these credentials on the, on the physician side, but also as a degree in biomedical engineering, um, where all the skills come together. So that's a really great vascular cardiothoracic surgery partnership, a lot of great neuro uh, activity here, um, you know, whether it be ep epilepsy or, or other neurosurgery or brain tumors, we've got some really, really uh, talented neurosurgeons. Um, obviously, the, the transplant area is something that we differentiate on quite a bit, both all solid organs um, and, and, and doing very well in the lung and in the hearts and also the livers and kidneys. Um, so a lot of a very vibrant and a very uh, active with great outcomes on, on our transplants. So by and large, you know, uh, what differentiates probably Keck Hospital and Norse Cancer Hospital is our case mix index. Okay. Um, you know, we, we're part of Vizient, which is a lot of academic centers across the country. We have the highest case mix index in the country. Um, it's up around 3.2, um, which, which is a pretty high case mix index. So a lot of high acuity cases here. So we're the... We look at ourselves as the specialists to the specialists. So we're the super specialists that help uh, a lot of the community specialists in terms of these higher levels of care that uh, that we have some expertise in. So high, highest transfers. So there's a lot of transfers, secondary transfers come from the community uh, to us because of the unique services that our, our faculty provide here. And, and as you know, you know, and, and folks that are on this call know, you know, a surgeon or a doc is one thing, but the care that surrounds them with the respiratory therapists, with our physical therapists, with our occupational therapists, with our nurses, our nurse practitioners, our PAs, it, it takes the whole team really to create the kind of experience and deal with the level of care that we're, uh, we're dealing with. And so um, that's kind of a, our niche, if you will. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, you guys definitely have some some tough to fill shoes, I would say, with the specialists that you have there. I remember prior, right when Tenet sold to USC, um, early in my career, I helped place travel nurses. And for those of you in the uh, that are listening, 
Um, most organizations, you know, have their own staff and don't necessarily need outsiders. But every once in a while, if a nurse goes on maternity leave or they have a really good specialty and they might need some extra support. So my company would help occasionally bring in a specialist. And it was so hard to get the right fit because the skill set that you guys have there at USC is, is so unique. Um, so that was my first experience uh, with USC. I remember the nurse manager was Lisa. This was before uh, your time. And yep. she, she wanted to make sure she had the best. And um, it, it was tough to find that. But yeah, really, really neat place. So you talked about the Verdugo Hills acquisition, which it seems like yesterday for me, but man, you mentioned 2009. So that was 11 years ago. Um, do you happen to have any info on, on what inspired that acquisition that was 11 years ago? Yeah, you know, you know and, I, and I may have thrown out the wrong date on that. I think it was actually later than that, to your point, Gavin. It, it was 2009 when, when the university bought, bought the tenant hospitals. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I may have misspoke. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the interest was to grow the system, uh, really, in terms of being able to uh, move into different communities and continue to grow. If you're not growing, then, you know, it's, it's difficult, right, to continue to 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 make ends meet. And so uh, that was a, a target. It was before my time here, but, you know, I think, I think the benefit has been great for that community. I mean, I think we've raised the level of care in that community. We brought, um, you know, some of our faculty certainly into that community and intermixed with the community physicians. Uh, it's still a very community-based uh, hospital. And I think, uh, you know, with the leadership that we put in there, increasing the level of care, and then just the quality and the safety, I think has been, has been really, uh, it's been fun to watch and see how our Clabsies and Cotties and, and all those sorts of things are just kind of dropping um, because we've put in the right processes. And part of that there, uh, to your point on travelers, when we first, uh, when I first came, there was a lot of travelers in that, in that uh, hospital. And, and sometimes that, that could create some challenges around quality of care um, and just, you know, keeping everybody up to speed on what the protocols are and what the bundles are that you need to be, need to be driving. But, uh, so they've worked very hard on that and, and, and bringing in the right talent and then bringing in the right physician talent and, um, you know, with the right hospitalist, the right um, laborist, the right intensivist, and the ED uh, changeover that happened there. I think it's one of the best run EDs um, in the county in terms of, of the faculty there that are, that are driving that. So a lot of really positive things uh, at Verdugo Hills Hospital and it continues to, to climb. Awesome, Rod. Thank you. So COVID is, um, I don't want to say over-talked because obviously it's probably the number one important healthcare matter in the world today. Uh, so while we don't want to have the show be a big focus on COVID, we do want to ask you how it has impacted um, tech medicine of USC. And it's been, let's see, we're recording, you know, pretty much early December now. So it's been, what, eight months or so since COVID has really impacted our society here in Southern California. Looking back, what are some of the things that stood out to you about how you guys have responded to the pandemic? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's not unlike many of the health systems that, you know, we all keep tabs and, and have certain calls, uh, you know, that many have gone through. I think, you know, it was tough going there at the very beginning, just the, the level of, you know, we had meetings, I think, twice a day, driving protocols, driving, you know, and as the evidence continued to shift and, and new guidelines would come out, you'd have to tweak those and trying to communicate those out to the workforce and, and making sure that um, we're creating the, the safest possible environment for our workforce to come in and deliver care to our, our patients. 
um, was, was paramount. That was our North star is that everything that we're going to do here. Um, and it was touch and go at the beginning because it was tough to get the right PPE. And so you had to, you know, you didn't ever want to compromise in terms of safety, but you don't want to run out of your PPE. So we were like day in and day out, just kind of nurturing this thing. And then, you know, and took some risks early on. Uh, you know, one of the things I think we're real proud of is we never relaxed off drop of precautions at the very beginning of this, even though there was some notion coming out um, that, that it wasn't, uh, you know, transmitted via airborne. So, so, but we, we said that I, I, I haven't seen the evidence and we're not willing to put our folks at risk. And we had at least the, the luxury of having enough N95s to be able to, to, to back that, that kind of protocol up and then work feverishly trying to get the, uh, get more PPE. And uh, at that time, I, I mean, I think I was on daily calls with our materials management, just looking at getting authorized, you know, where things were costing 10 times X, you know, yeah. pre COVID and saying, we got to get it, we got to get it. So we, you know, I think that's the luxury of, of having the university behind us as well as, you know, just having some scale. It allows us to go and take some risks um, and, and pay maybe more than we should, but still, we never got into a position where we had to compromise on the safety of our workforce. I think we we're very early. Um, we're the only ones that we tested every patient that came in for whatever procedure, um, as long as it was if it was an aerosolizing procedure or it was coming in to be admitted or coming in for surgery. We pre-tested. And then again, we had the luxury of of worked real hard to stand up our own testing capabilities and had to try to try to, you know, control folks to give us the reagents we needed and all that. So that seems like a distant memory, you know, but we were, we were, we were, you know, like everybody else plowing along, just really trying to make sure that we created a safe environment for our workforce. And, uh, and as we, as we, you know, monitor all our statistics and look at the number of positives amongst our staff and, you know, 99.9, you'll hear this from a lot of folks is really community acquired yeah, and, you know the screening that we put in right up front with with man screening stations, so folks coming in got screened. We went to universal precautions with masking long before it was in vogue, you know, to do that because again of the PPE issue. Yeah, and so um, I feel really good about what our leadership team accomplished throughout all this, and I think we we're we're a few weeks, if not a month, out at, in front of the pack, um, and I think it's because of the the leaders we had. You're really working day and night to give us get us the resources that we need to be able to really protect the environment um, for our, for our staff, and that played out very well um, with our staff, with our physicians. Um, you know, we still couldn't get enough pappers fast enough to be able to do some of the higher risk procedures uh, in pappers, but we had enough to where we were able to stage out the cases such that we made sure that our ear, nose, and throat physicians, as an example, were always protected when they were in doing a, doing a, a risky procedure, if you will. Um, nice. That was a little bit before we had testing to really know. And so we had to treat everybody as though they were positive. Um, but luckily when the testing caught up, we were able to able to test a lot of our, our folks. And then all the work in the environment, the telehealth, you know, that, um, you know, we we're doing a, a tremendous amount of telehealth continue to this day at about 30% level of all our visits now are, are remain telehealth visits. And, and, um, so a lot of a lot of good stuff. I think the the thing that I like the most it really engendered a, a sense of us, you know, in a, yeah. in a culture. And I think you know disparate groups that maybe not have worked as closely together had to come together across the continuum and and so forge new relationships, forge new trusting relationships. And and I think uh, I think overall um, there's a silver lining to it all 
relative to what we've been able to accomplish as an institution. I think people are pretty proud. They're tired, you know, yeah. by now we, we'd kind of be, and now we're kind of, it's starting to ramp itself back up here. And so people are, are ready to go. But I think uh, the tough work's over. Now it's a matter of tweaking. And when do we bring these these things back online with where the this, this second surge or third surge, however you want to count it, is going? So that's kind of where we're at right now with, you know, a lot of anxiety in the, in the, in our workforce, uh, just in terms of what's happening out in our communities. Yeah, it makes sense. And I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you mentioned your history in the military and on a submarine and, you know, one of the phrases out there in leadership is like a calm pilot. And I'm curious if any of your military training has helped you react during the pandemic and maintain calm. Yeah, you know, I think in, in times of crises, right, you, you kind of centralize decision-making a little bit, right, so that you're making sure that you are able to uh, make the right decisions. You, you don't have a, a luxury of building Noah's Ark, right, and, and waiting for consensus and all that. So you just got to go off the evidence. And uh, so I think that that's certainly like battle stations <laughs> in the uh, in the submarine force or whenever you have some sort of crisis. So but, you know, um, it's all balanced, right, in, in this environment. And uh, I think we, we, we have large, we call them COVID strategy meetings with all of our key leaders across. And, and, uh, and we made a lot of sausage in those meetings, um, you know, in terms of oh, yeah. documents and, you know, looking at workflows with our medical evaluation tent, our passive travel, our, our testing protocols, you know, to say that we pre-test people before they come in. That's that's nice to say, but somebody's got to go implement workflow around that in, in a way that you know gets people here with 72 hours in advance of there. So that's two trips out to the to the medical center, and we draw a lot of patients from afar. And so anyhow, all of that had to be worked out, and uh, and that's that's just the my hats off to our leadership team and, and the directors and the associate administrators and all those that rolled up their sleeves and really jumped on it. Um, and that's spreading out in environments when we started to kind of emerge out of the initial COVID wave in, in, in mid-May. Um, you know, just a lot of work and looking at schedules and looking how we space out and, um, and then continuing to kind of stabilize that telehealth environment um, is, a, is a big area of focus as well. So, Absolutely. yeah, no, so it, it, you know, it, it played in, I think, a little bit. At least that's my, you know, and I, I happen to have a pretty, a pretty stellar leadership team in the CEO of the, of the hospital as well as CEO of the medical group, um, who uh, who's also a, my my CEO, the interim CEO of Keck Medical Center, right? Well, I did that. Um, guy named Marty Sargent, um, and he was an F fifteen fighter pilot. And oh, so nice. He, he has he has he has calmness in his veins as well in terms <laughs> of uh, dealing with with some of the challenges. So, yeah, I think I think uh, stable leadership and and keeping your eye on the prize and being calm. Um, and, and having humility, I think, is a, a big part of it as well in terms of, you know, you don't know all the answers. You, nobody does. It's all brand new stuff. So just listening to the wisdom and keeping that, that North Star present in terms of safety of our, of our workforce. And that's, that's kind of how we've positioned it. And, uh, and then through those practices, you know, um, masking, distancing, washing your hands, it actually works yeah. very well in our environment. And, and so that's been our biggest pitch is to say don't just you know where we've had some healthcare worker to healthcare worker transmissions it's been because people let their guard down and yeah. 
party and somebody was positive from the community because somebody in their family has been the biggest case, somebody in the family, you know, and then, um, and so, and then people, you know, I always get allergies this time of year. And so ruling out um, sometimes when, when, when you should have played it very cautious. So, I mean, it's just constant reinforcement, constant communication, constant education, um, and, and making sure folks are being as vigilant as possible. It's, it's never over. It's just, it's continuous. You got to keep kind of pounding at home. And when people start relaxing their guard a little bit is when things get, get a little bit scary. Yeah, absolutely, Rod. Uh, some good feedback there. So lastly, as we wrap up today's show, uh, the last question I have for you is uh, we're recording just a few weeks after the recent election. And do you anticipate any impacts to your organization in the near future with, uh, with Joe Biden becoming the president and his administration leading the way? Or do you feel pretty much everything will continue um, on the same path? Well, I think that's the that's the multi-million dollar question, right? And uh, you know, I I I I don't know, right? I, I hopefully it's positive for us. I think uh, you know, for the healthcare community as a whole, uh, there's a lot of moving parts though right now in terms of of you know whether it's price transparency, whether it's uh, the the 340B assault, you know, that's happening on the 340B program from all angles, from manufacturers, from commercial payers, from uh, the federal government from um, um, so that's a big one I think for for some of the some of the big hospitals that that have a 340b program that can you could you share briefly uh, what is the 340b program so that's a drug discount program that uh, allows uh, you know certain qualifying hospitals to purchase drugs at a lower price point um, than than others okay. and the idea is to be able to continue to um, use that that margin, if you will, to provide services to more of the Medi-Cal population. Um, and Got it. But that's uh, a really gross simplification of it. But um, it's it's a big program for many hospitals in the country, and certainly for a, a cancer hospital, although they have certain grandfather privileges. Um, but at any rate, it's a it's a big program, and uh, and it's it's getting a lot of uh, a lot of attention lately. And there's a, a, a lot of movement up front with white bagging, um, at least for the commercial pairs, with a reduction in the reimbursement from the federal government, with not being able to use contract pharmacies from the manufacturers. And so uh, health systems are kind of getting hit from all angles. So hopefully okay. uh, uh, Biden can help us out there a little bit. But I, you know, it's um, my, my hope. Uh, but there's a lot of other things, right? I, I think uh, relaxation of some of the standards that were, were relaxed a little bit um, over over this period and hopefully they can stay relaxed so that we can continue to do the right thing for our patients um, without old regulations that are governing us you know certainly in the state of California title 22 is ripe for an overhaul and hopefully uh, some of this some of this that's happened through covid um, maybe can stay you know and that's would be hoping at least from the federal government for for Biden to kind of Help, help nurture that as well. Awesome, Rod. Well, thank you. Um, and lastly, I want to end on a note. Um, is there anybody at your organization, you don't have to name them, or a patient story that over the last eight months or so that's really stood out to you as a success story or how you guys overcame a challenge? Uh, love stories. Go ahead. You know, I get a lot of, you know, I, I grew up in the South Bay, as I mentioned earlier. So I have a lot of friends and family in the South Bay. And I, 
a week doesn't go by where somebody hasn't reached, uh, you know, the end of their rope relative to trying to get a, a, a diagnosis or what have you. So the story I'll tell you is around a friend of mine that I, I coached his daughter when I, when I used to coach softball. And um, I got a call from a, another friend that said, hey, have you talked to so-and-so? And I said, no, I haven't talked to him in a while. And he said, uh, oh, he's not doing so well. You know, he was over at XYZ Hospital and um, they couldn't diagnose him. And so they just sent him home and, you know, hasn't eaten in three days and all that sort of stuff. So I, I called, uh, called up their family and, um, and I said, hey, you know, it was a Friday night, right? So it was always the case, Friday night. And, and, uh, and I said, hey, you know, I'll get him in on Monday, get him to see who he, he can be seen. But if you need anything sooner than that, let me know. And certainly uh, Saturday morning, he was at his wit's end and wasn't feel like, you know, he's going to make it, you know, he's eating a half a strawberry a day. So long story short, brought him into CAC. Um, and it's just been, he got diagnosed within, um, several weeks, um, of being here, a lot of tests and all that. And we got him the diagnosis, got him the therapy, got him into rehab, uh, to help rehab and, and went home about a week ago. And that could have been a, a much different story had a friend number two not called me to get him in here. So, and, and that Gavin happens every day here, every day, uh, you know, and, and I, I tell you, I, that's the one thing that surprises me the most. I was at Children's Hospital Los Angeles before this and provided really great care to the to the children um, in Southern California, but also across the nation. And um, the amount of letters and accolades that I get today at Keck Medicine is, is amazing in terms of the experience that folks have had um, with very complex situations. Um, and so I could go on and on. But anyway, yeah, that was a great story uh, for a friend of the family um, where, and, and I know folks did their very best because that's who they are, not because it was a friend of mine. Yeah. And because we kind of kept that under the, under the lid as much as we could. So at any rate, that, that's a, that was a great story. Um, a really wild diagnosis, West Nile virus. Imagine that. Oh, wow. So that's... And, and it is funny. He goes, I, I haven't been in the West Nile. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome, Ron. I appreciate you mentioned uh, keeping that under the lid a little bit um, about that this patient was connected to you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and I think all of us as leaders, like sometimes even even at my own day job, sometimes we're like, oh, this is a VIP patient because you know they know so and so, and and we have to resist calling anybody VIP patient because everybody, right? Everybody should be a VIP patient, and. Um, it really it touches me. Last week, one of my friends, um, one of my best friends, her father-in-law passed away and, and my company took care of him in his last year and a half. And my ops manager who coordinated all the care for this gentleman, when I told her, I'm like, oh, he passed away. I'm so sorry. Can we, you know, let's make sure we do flowers, all this stuff. And, and she, I, she found out that the gentleman that passed away was one of my mom's best friends, stepfathers. And she's like, how come you didn't tell me? And like you said, Rod, it's our responsibility not to necessarily tell everybody because we want to treat everybody the same and they should get great care no matter what. So right. that's a little tangent, but I just want to say I very much respect what you said and I'm glad that you kept it under wraps. Yeah, no, it's good. And, and that's exactly it, Gavin. Our, 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 our staff, they don't differentiate the level of care that they provide to each of our patients. They give it the best to everybody, right? Everybody's a VIP. Now, you know, certain VIP, you know, maybe you get a little little accoutrements here and there, but as far as the clinical care, it, it's, it's standard, right? Exactly. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, Rod. Well, hey, really appreciate you being on the show. If people want to keep up with you, Rod, are you active at all on any social media or LinkedIn or uh, how can people kind of follow you at USC? Yeah, LinkedIn, uh, Gavin, I'm on LinkedIn. I got Twitter. Um, so I got all the all the bells and whistles, little Instagram here and there. <laughs> so yeah, I've, 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 I, I was a resistor early, but now I'm a, I'm a social media guy. So we're not, I, I wouldn't even go that far, but let's just say I'm on social media. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I've, I follow Rod and, um, he's, he's not every day, you know, crazy, but he's definitely consistent. So I can appreciate that. Um, and then Rod, how can folks learn more about USC? What's the best, uh, obviously they can Google it, but what's the best website to go directly to? Yeah, I think Keck Medicine of USC. I think if you just, uh, if you just Google Keck Medicine, um, we're always uh, advancing and in, in, in raising the bar on our, on our web presence. So, uh, click Keck Medicine and click often. Awesome. And if people want to work for Keck Medicine of USC or see their job openings, would they just do the same thing? Yeah, it'll be it'll be there on the website as well. Absolutely. But feel free to shoot me resume if you see jobs that are open. I'd be more than happy to shuffle, shuffle them all. Make sure folks get a look. Uh, awesome. Well, folks, again, Rod Hanners has been our guest. Uh, great to have you on again, Rod, and best wishes as we turn the corner to 2021. You too, Gavin. Nice seeing you again. You too. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.